get, get into some family talk and, um, and prayer today. Uh, I want us to pray over several things. Um, number one, uh, well, first of all, let's bend, blend our hearts together. Let's pray our Lord's Prayer as is our custom. That's a bonding point for us. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. That's a special time for us every week when we pray the Lord's Prayer together. Um, I, I want to um, basically have a prayer meeting this morning, this morning. I want to encourage you for several things and, and share with you what I feel the Lord has been putting on my heart. Um, first of all, and we're going to pray at the end, but we want to tenderize our hearts to what God is doing, especially at college campuses at various locations. Um, it, it, it looks like revival. It looks like it's a move of God. I know sometimes we don't always know exactly what something is or is not till we give it a little bit of time. But I'll put it to you this way. It smells like a move of God. And um, it, it certainly seems to be sovereign. It's not, as far as I can tell, anything that has been worked up because of the different backgrounds, different locations. Um, we want to pray today and we want to welcome the Holy Spirit in whatever form He wants to take because I've lived long enough to know that when God does something here, it doesn't mean He's not going to do it anywhere else. And we always want to be sensitive and welcoming to the Holy Spirit, however He moves, even if it's not something that we are always comfortable with or accustomed to. I'm not saying I'm not comfortable with what's happening. I'm just saying, you know, it's amazing we have revivals at all, not because of the world's pushback, but because of the church pushback. Um, now, you're not like that, and I mean that sincerely. I thank God for that. But usually when God does something, it, was, it happened at Toronto, it happened at Brownsville, it happened at Azusa Street, it happened at the Bonnie Bray prayer meeting, it happened at the Haystack prayer meetings, uh, going all the way back to uh, uh, the Great Awakenings. There have always been Christians that chose to criticize it because they didn't understand it. And I think that we would do well to just doubt a little bit of our infallibility and let God do what he wants to do, and then lead us uh, into all truth. He promised the Holy Spirit would do that. He said he would lead us into all truth. That, that means we don't even have to figure it out. The Holy Spirit will lead us into truth, and he'll, he'll expose that that's not true. So I want to caution you, don't be among the Christians that criticize it without letting the fruit come to maturity, um, and, and thereby hindering what God might want to do. Although we can't stop God, we can hinder what He wants to do in our lives. So we want to be careful to not criticize it. And I also want to encourage this, uh, those of you that might believe in it, don't criticize others that aren't in the flow yet. Uh, there's, there's nothing more hurtful 
to a pastor in a church that's trying to find the Lord than for people to say, oh, there's no, there's no Holy Spirit in this church. There's no move of God in this church. That is a death blow to someone's heart. And um, uh, th that happens frequently in, in churches everywhere. Either the move of God is criticized or if you were doing something right, you'd be experiencing everything the way they are. But I want to remind you that God has a sense of timing that is so much better than ours. And God doesn't move the same way every place. And um, He certainly doesn't uh, need our judgmentalism for His Spirit to flow. So don't criticize others who may not be in the flow. And, and if you believe it's of God, don't even criticize those that are waiting to see. Uh, so much friendly fire occurs when God begins to move, and we don't want to be a part of that. Let's see what God will do uh, as this moment hopefully spreads, uh, as this movement hopefully spreads. Um, I think today we also need to pray for our nation. We have a prayer agenda. Of course, we, we're starting our uh, prayer for the city. But we've, we've adopted a commission to pray for the persecuted church. Uh, around the world, and I feel like we need to pray today for those in North America that are beginning to feel the sting of it, and um, uh, particularly in, in our country and in Canada. We, we need to pray about this issue of persecution uh, as well as persecution around the world. We've also committed to pray for the great institutions of America that they will return to their purpose, to their justice, righteousness. We pray for all three branches of government. And then our old prayer council that we, we took for five years, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, I'm still praying it. We pray for lies and liars to be exposed, talking about in our government. We pray for truth to rise up and have a platform. We ask for the church to wake up and we ask God to help Americans to know what we ought to do. Now, um, what I want us to do is, as we move into this prayer and then as we continue the messages later, um, I've never known a time in my life, uh, and I realize people's backgrounds are different, situations are different, but I've never known a time in, in my adult life, uh, the 60s were kind of gnarly, but I was just a kid then, but in my adult life, I've never known a time where there is much uncertainty among the people of God as there is right now. I don't say that to criticize us. It's, it's, a, it's an unbelievable time. It's a time ordained by God, not that everything is ordained by God, but he told us in advance, he said that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. I mean, he told us that. He said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. There's going to be difficulty. He told us all of this stuff that we don't, we never put it on our refrigerator magnets, you know. Um, in this world, you shall have tribulation um, and, and have trouble. But um, he said, everything as God works to bring his kingdom, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And the reason is that only the unshakable will remain. Um, I, I'm, I'm hurting with you. There are things going on that we don't know 
is this God or is this the devil? I mean, solid people are saying, I don't even know how to pray with the situations I'm facing. Is this the devil attacking me or is this God purifying me? what is going on? And I hear that all the time. And there are things that I was praying about the other day. First of all, let me say this. For the last three days, this is the fourth day actually, uh, every time, all through the day, several times a day, I would just hear the words holiness and humility. Holiness and humility. Holiness and humility. Now that's all that I ever got when those words came to me. I wasn't sure what it meant Um, I mean, I understand holiness, I understand humility, but I had a strong sense that that was what God was calling for, and that's what I want to talk about today. That's what I want us to pray for today is holiness and humility. And I want to tell you what I believe God is trying to do. I believe He is trying to help us uh, either by what He's doing or what He's allowing or what He's not doing. I think God is trying to move us to a higher place. Our temptation has been to lean on the arm of Egypt, as Jeremiah would put it. Our temptation has been to understand how we can get through this or what needs to be done, looking at it from the lens of the flesh. And after three years, I want to tell you, something broke when COVID came, and it wasn't just COVID that was that happened. Something broke societally, something broke in the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ, and God allowed or sent, and that's another three sermons for another time, but you know, what, what does God send and what does God allow? I don't believe in a God whose sovereignty means that you know, he, he ordains that everything happen. I don't believe in that kind of sovereignty, but I do believe in a sovereignty that no matter what happens, God never loses control. He never loses control and he is sovereign. He's able to make everything work together for good, the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's, and that's due to his sovereignty. And, and a lot of times people define sovereignty as, you know, God does whatever he wants and doesn't have to explain himself. That's not what sovereignty is. Sovereignty has to do with control and has to do with the end result of things. And uh, we believe that God is able to take the most wretched occurrences, not that he does them, not that he ordains them, not that he blesses them, but God has an ability that's beyond our comprehension to make all things work together and it ends up for his good, for our good and for his kingdom. You know, I remember uh, I, I, I only watched a few minutes of the movie, but uh, I can't even think the... Uh, was it Evan Almighty? I can't remember. No, no, it was the one with Jim Carrey. Anyway, uh, where Morgan Freeman is God. And you remember he's going to, Jim Carrey, I think it is, is going to prove that God doesn't know everything. So it's like, you know, tell me how many fingers I'm holding up. And he has like five fingers and he knows it's five And God says six, and he thinks, I've got him. And he holds his hand up, and there's six fingers on his hand, you know. Um, God never loses control. God doesn't get upset at the raging of the nations. He laughs at it, not because it's funny, but he laughs at it in scorn 
for mankind in this system to think that they can overrule God, break God, bring him down, and have everything the way they want it. But I will tell you this, right now is, it, it's a very dark day for the church in a lot of places. Now we know God is moving. I'm not, I'm not minimizing what God is doing. But I'm simply saying from a pastor's perspective who talks to other pastors, um, I'm simply saying that there is less confidence overall in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ than I've ever seen in my life. It's not that people don't love God. It's not that people don't want to follow God. But they simply are overwhelmed and just beat down. I mean, spiritually, we're just getting punched on. And it seems that trouble is like a waterfall that cascades and covers everything. Anybody feel like that sometimes? You, know, you won't admit it, but we do. We're all struggling with that kind of thing. And uh, people that I've known to be strong, incredibly strong, um, are, they're, they're still serving. And praise God that people don't give up when things get difficult. But the enemy, you say, well, you said you don't know if God's doing it or the devil's doing it. Well, um, I, I tell you what, I felt like the Lord spoke to me a couple of weeks ago or so. Um, I said, Lord, I don't know how to pray about this. I don't know how to pray about that. I have a prayer list of your needs that I go through and my needs, my family. I mean, it's a, it's a book and I go through it and I've caught myself over and over. I don't know how to pray. I, I don't know what to say. I don't know if this is God or if this is the devil. Now, I also know two things. When we pray in the spirit, that's the best way to pray. But I, and, I, and I also know that even if it's something that God is doing, not, and it's not the devil, the devil will sometimes jump onto our trouble, even if he's not the author of it, even if he's not the one that, that instigated it. Uh, so the devil always complicates things. And I felt the Lord remind me that there are two certain paths that we can take. Number one, we always pray, Father, your will be done. Yeah, that's not a cop-out. I know a lot of people that use that as a cop-out when they don't want to get down and really pray through something. They just say, oh, Lord, whatever you want to do, your will be done. But that is really not a cop-out prayer. That's an exquisite prayer if you pray it and mean it. Because Jesus prayed that in the garden. He, he had a path that he would rather follow. But he was able to say, and it's the height of intercession, it's the height of selflessness. He said, nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. And sometimes you don't know what God wants. So I believe, I believe that we can be safe just saying, Lord, your will be done. Your will be done. The second thing we need to remember is that there is a formula that we can always depend on, even if we are clueless as to what is going on around us. Even if our understanding is zilch, it is this. It's, this is the formula. Draw near to God and resist the devil. Draw near to God and resist the devil. <laughs> Let me say it again. Draw near to God and resist the devil. And then two things happen. When you and I draw near to God, he will draw near to us. 
It's a promise. And when we draw near, he, he, he draws near. And when we resist the devil, the effect is he will flee. Um, sometimes it takes a little more resisting than we realize. But he will flee. And I think that God is trying to teach us two things. Um, and none of this is in your notes. So just save them for next week or let them be a collector's item. But um, uh, we, we need to understand two things. We are, we are in this present time. We are in a time of being overwhelmed. Now, I know that people say, well, we have victory in Jesus, and we do. And, and there are times that are great, and there are times that are tough. Um, uh, Paul talked at least three times about the distress, the present distress and he recognized that there were times that we go through tougher places than at other times. This present distress. Uh, there was a book a while back, uh, uh, or a generation ago now, called This Present Darkness. And um, we need to understand that we, we go through waves of opposition. And we go through waves of blessing. And we go through waves of, of difficulty. But God wants us to understand Whenever, even if we're under judgment, <clears throat> his goal is not to destroy us. I, I do believe our nation is going through judgment. <clears throat> I think that we're not through it yet. But God is not one that, that is seeking to destroy us. He's seeking to restore us. He's seeking to bring us to another place. I believe that God right now is... As I said, he's either doing things or allowing things, and this is the hard one, or not doing things that we want him to do. And we feel like we're losing the war. We feel like our promises need to be forsaken and walked away from. We feel like our destiny that God has spoken to us concerning your family, your work, or your walk with him, your ministry. We feel, guys, I'm not kidding you, even in the ministry among pastors, you would be amazed at how many feel there is nothing left I can do. It's lost. But I want to remind you that seven years ago, I started telling you the day would come when I would sit here and tell you that it looks like we've lost and we'll believe that before we believe and begin to recognize that we have won. Uh, I've, I've said this for seven years. The days will come that will make us feel like the church is lost only to discover that the church is won. You say, well, tell me where we won. I can't tell you that yet. I mean, I can give you pockets. I can give you examples. The people that say there's no move of God are... are, are not only are they discouraging, but they're absolutely wrong. God is doing incredible things around the world. He's doing incredible things in our church. And um, we, we're thankful for that. We're not minimizing that. But I'm still telling you, I don't know how many ways I can say it before I just become hopelessly redundant. 
the, an, an unusually high number of people, they love God, they, they, they would say intellectually, God is faithful, God never fails, God never lies, but they have incredible battles going on in the inside. They're saying, yes, God, God is a blesser, but not for me. God has done miracles, but not for me. Or God can fix this, but he can't fix that. And, and we know better than that. And, and it doesn't help us for folks to fuss at us and say, oh, you know better than that. We need to realize that something's got to change for us. There's got to be a breakthrough. And I think there are people that um, uh, need a, a breakthrough personally, but I also think there are churches that need breakthroughs. There are families that need breakthroughs. I think our nation needs a breakthrough. And um, uh, I want to encourage you to just keep drawing near to God and resist the devil. Um, I tell you what I am sensing in my spirit that we need to pray for today. <clears throat> we need to pray for what I'm calling a Josiah moment. We need a Josiah moment, and I'll explain that in just a second. Um, in great force and with great intensity, the Lord has reconfirmed that scripture to me about don't be discouraged, don't be weary of well-doing. Um, you see, what the enemy wants to do is wear out the saints, and usually what happens, we don't have a crisis of faith. We don't stop believing the Bible. We don't stop knowing that God is real. But we get worn out. And when we're worn out, we find it difficult to want to do what we ought to do. And we find it difficult to do, to find strength to do what we normally do. It's Daniel's words where his job is to wear out the saints of the Most High. Um, weariness is the number one problem. Now, sometimes there's deception. There's incredible deception that we will face in the last days. And Jesus said that even the elect could be deceived if we don't stay on our guard. So we've got to watch out for deception. But loved ones, mostly we need to watch out for fatigue. Because fatigue will cause us to not see what we need to see. Are you hearing me? Fatigue causes us to not see what we need to see. I've told this story a half dozen times, and those of you that have heard it, forgive me. I'm, I'll repeat it for our, uh, for our newer members. It was a turning point for me in regard to the kingdom of God, though it was nothing about the kingdom of God. It was 1984, and I was watching um, a special about the 40th anniversary of D-Day. D-Day, uh, phenomenal. The greatest, largest, most complicated, meticulous, amphibious invasion in the history of the world where allied troops invaded Nazi-occupied France and began the drive to Berlin. It was amazing, uh, the stories that went on. It's, it's worth it, it's worth buying books to read about D-Day. I don't know that it's 
taught much in our histories anymore. Um, I've got a little poster that I really love. It had those Higgins boats, the, the landing craft, going ashore at Omaha Beach and Utah Beach and, and all the and, and Juneau and Sword Beach, all those beaches along the coast there of Normandy. And it, and, uh, it said, enjoy your day in the beach because of what they did on their day at the beach. And I thought, man, I started squalling. I was, I was so moved by that. But um, this was the, the, the 40th anniversary of that. And um, I was listening. They were interviewing people that were there, men and women that were part of that invasion force. And there was a man that was just a PFC, and he came ashore on a landing craft. Um, if I remember, it was Omaha Beach. It, it doesn't matter where it was, but he came ashore. He said, when the Higgins craft opened, we first, our first goal was to get ashore without drowning. Um, he said, then we had to sprint over yards and yards of open beach with almost no cover, with uh, Nazi machine guns firing down on us, activity overhead. He said, our leader told us that we're only responsible for 40 yard swath, just 40 yards. He said, forget everything to the left, forget everything to the right, focus on your 40 yards. It would be like if I was trying to get to the back door, I mean, there are other ways, but this is my only path right here. And as they go ashore, he said that uh, uh, men died, some before they got off the boat. He said, I had friends die at my side. Uh, others wounded, he said, and as I hid behind um, some barriers that had been there to prevent boats from coming in, he said, and machine gun uh, bullets were uh, pinging off the metal that I was hiding behind, he said, after a few minutes, I knew what was supposed to happen. He said, I looked all around me, and I didn't see it happening anywhere. We were all pinned down. Now, you've got to understand, they, they overcame this, and they took the beaches. But he said, at the pivotal point in the battle, I made a decision. He said, I wasn't a coward. I wasn't unpatriotic. I didn't, you know, I still liked Ike. It was nothing like that. But he said, I just came to the conclusion, we're going to lose this thing. Oh, he said, I hoped we would still win the war, but... This invasion is a failure. We're going to lose this thing. He said, I thought we would make it, but I've come to the conclusion now we're going to lose this thing. And they ended the interview with him, and I thought, oh, wow, that must have been horrible. Then they go to a man that was flying a little reconnaissance plane, not much bigger than a Piper Cub, above the beach. And he, he didn't think that the invasion was going to work. He thought it was poorly planned and too many risks. It depended on people being um, uh, parachuted behind the enemy lines and they were getting blown everywhere and uh, off, off their course. And he, he didn't believe it was going to work. He said, but as I circled the beach, he said, that 40-yard swath I'm talking about, was that was the center of it. He said, and as I went circling, he said, I saw not only what was happening below me, but I saw what was happening below me out there. And I saw what was happening on another beach. And I saw what was happening with another landing craft. And he said, 
And all of a sudden, I came to the conclusion, we're going to win this thing. We're going to win this thing. The one that said we're going to win this thing ended up saying we're going to lose this thing. And the one that said we're going to lose this thing ended up saying we're going to win this thing. And I, I, I thought, well, I started blubbering. And I, I thought the only difference, and, the, and the, the newscast brought this out, the only difference was a few hundred feet of altitude. The one that said we're going to win this thing was seated higher than the one whose face was being pinned down on the beach. Both of them equally patriotic, both of them equally heroes. But loved ones, I want you to know the devil is trying to keep us pinned down. Because if we stay pinned down and can't see everything God is doing, our conclusion will be that we have lost or we will lose. Our conclusion will be cynicism that says our country is lost or our future is lost. A generation is lost. Our children are lost. And the, the, the solution is to get your progress reports from high up. He said, when I was certain I was going to die, we had made a little progress Another wave came in and he said, I looked at a man and said something like this. Well, I hope you're ready to meet your maker because we're going to die any minute now. And the guy said, what? We're winning. We're winning all along the coast. One came in in the morning. The other one came in in the afternoon. You haven't heard the news. He said, I haven't heard any news. I've just been being shot at all day. He said, we're about to take this thing. We're about to win this thing. But the point I'm trying to make is we need to remember, we don't always stay there and we don't always remember it, but we are seated in heavenly places with Christ. Now that doesn't mean we control everything. That doesn't mean we declare what we want to declare and it has to happen. But it does give us a perspective where we see everything that we need to see to know that we're winning the battle instead of losing the battle. Am I making sense to you today? Loved ones, I'm not fussing at you. I, I, have, I have fought off depression the last three years. I have fought off doom and gloom. For the first time in my ministry... I felt like, I don't know if we're going to win this or not. I mean, I'm just telling you. You say, well, I didn't know. Pastor, if you had told us that, we'd have panicked. That's why I didn't tell you. <laughs> but I have learned that if we draw near to God, He will draw near to us. I have learned that I don't take my progress report from emails. And I don't take my progress report from the news channel. I don't take my progress report from the politicians. We have to take it from a higher source. And there's somebody that's above everything and they're seeing what we don't see. They're seeing what we don't see. Whenever the enemy laid out uh, uh, his harshest attack against the disciples, Jesus said, uh, and they had no clue, Jesus said, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. And then he said to Peter, but I have prayed for you that your faith won't fail. 
You see, he knows the attack that the enemy plans. He understood the plan against Job. He understood the plan against the disciples. He says, but there's something you don't know, Peter. There's something you don't understand. I have prayed for you and your faith is not going to fail. God says, I'm praying for you. I'm seated at the right hand of the Father. And I ever live to make intercession for you. Jesus is not in heaven uh, petting sheep. He's not in heaven giving harp lessons to new arrivals. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he has been in constant intercession for you. And for you, and for you, and for you, and for me. That doesn't mean that there's not hell going on on the ground. It doesn't mean that there aren't machine gun bullets fly spiritually flying over your head. Paul said, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers. The battle is real. But the enemy knows how to make us lose heart unless we start getting reports from higher up. Now, we know that and we understand that, but I want you to know what is happening. I want you to know that God is responding to our obedience. You say, well, no, I, just, I don't feel like we're making any breakthroughs. He said, if you'll draw near to me, if you'll humble yourselves and pray, turn from your wicked ways, I want to tell you we've been doing that. And God is responding to our obedience. As we draw closer, He's drawing closer. We're going to begin. Now, we don't feel that yet, not most of us. Most of us give mental assent to that. But if we're to be honest, we struggle with it because it doesn't look like that on the outside. And we believe that everything is falling apart. But in the words of that song from a few years ago, just when we feel everything is falling apart, we begin to see that things aren't falling apart. They're falling into place. And God, we need to watch God begin to rise up. I want to tell you something else I believe that is about to happen. We're going to see God begin to move. We're going to see sudden answers to our prayers. You're going to find strength to wait for the answers to your prayers. You're not going to cave in when a bad report comes in or someone you're praying for acts the opposite of the way you've been praying for them to act. You're going to find that you are getting tougher in the battle. You're getting stronger in the struggle. You're getting wiser in the, uh, in the fray. And God is rising up for you. Watch him begin to rise up. God is preparing to vindicate the righteous. Now, I've asked God to vindicate himself because the world thinks he's blown it. You know, why would a God, if he was all powerful, allow this? If God's in control, why is this happening? Well, it's because he gave us control of the earth. God hasn't lost control. We are reaping what mankind has sowed. You know, how can a God of love send people to hell? God, I don't believe, sends anyone to hell. Uh, he, in fact, he's made a way that none of us have to go to hell. 
It, it's, it's, it's our to, He's not sending us there. He is sending angels. He's sending missions. He's sending ministers. He's sending Christians. He's sending testimonies to do everything that he can without violating free will. He's doing everything he can to keep us from going to hell. And God is not only going to begin to vindicate himself, God is going to vindicate those who are his. I want you to read with me or just listen to me read Revelation 3.9. This is what God spoke to a group that was going through incredible persecution and through incredible difficulty. He said, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. I, I don't know how to handle that because it sounds arrogant. It sounds self-serving. I would never pray, God, make them fall down before me and admit that we're right. No, I, I, I don't know that I know how to pray that. But I tell you what God said. He said, that's what I'm going to do. He said, the evil in the world, the evil system of Babylon has exalted itself. And guys, we're in a dark time right now. Right now, it seems that darkness is greater than light. It seems that darkness is greater than light. But loved ones, we've got to remember, when we go into a room on a darkest of night and flip the light switch, the light drives out the darkness immediately. It never gets so dark outside that our lights begin to get dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. Oh, now if you have a light bulb, that's another sermon but, uh, that blows. That's another sermon. But, but what I'm telling you is that light overcomes darkness. Darkness doesn't overcome light. And God is saying, before this is over, that's why we need to learn how to live in this present time. God is saying, before this is over, I will bring everything that has opposed itself against me and against you. And I will cause it to bow down. And they'll say, you were right. You were right. How's that going to happen? I don't know. But I know God's able because on a cosmic level, he says the day is coming when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That doesn't mean as some new theology is teaching that everybody's going to get saved at the end. There are some preachers preaching that even Satan's going to get saved, you know, because everybody will repent and confess. No, it will be an acknowledgement, not a confession of faith, but a confession of guilt. It will be an acknowledgement. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. Now let me tell you what I believe God is up to. Let me tell you what I believe we ought to be looking for. There was a king, godly king. He was the son of a very wicked king, King Ammon. But King Josiah came to the throne when he was just eight years old. He reigned 30, 31 years, something like that. Died too soon. But one of the things that happened is fairly early into his reign, Josiah realized, I see what my father has done. And Jehovah is just one God among many. His temple has been desecrated. His temple has been neglected. 
great, what was it, great-grandfather um, Manasseh was, it says that at one point Manasseh did more to turn Israel to evil than all the other kings before him. That was the culture that Josiah was born into. And he set his heart to serve the Lord. And the first thing he did, he said, he, he told the, the, the temple treasurer to take the offerings that had been collected and restore the temple. Restore the temple, drive out every God that's not a true God, drive out every altar that doesn't belong there, take everything that's like the world, take it out and purify the house of God, restore it. The problem was there had been such incredible persecution that the word of God in its entirety was basically lost. I mean, it, it was illegal at times to have the scriptures. Uh, it, wouldn't, it wasn't the first time and it wasn't the last, but the scripture was basically lost and they only had bits and pieces. And they had some writings, uh, um, some of the chronicles and, and, and journals that had portions of the word. But they were really operating from a very limited perspective. And when they were redoing the temple, probably over in the treasury section of the temple, they, they were working on a wall or something and then the wall pushed through. They looked in there and found the scroll of Moses. It was the same Hebrew word that was used in Joshua to describe the law that God gave Moses, the whole law of God, all five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And for the first time in generations, they have the whole picture for the first time in generations, they're not having to pick and choose a little verse here and a little verse there, a chapter there. Well, there weren't chapters in those days, but you know what I'm trying to say. And he took it to Huldah, who was a prophetess. Jeremiah was on the scene at that time as well. And Huldah uh, had it read and, and she said, this is serious business. God has told us that if we don't live the right way, we're going to lose everything. And Josiah wept. The people wept. The officials wept as they came into the full knowledge of God. Can you understand the power of that moment? And, and um, uh, Josiah began a reform. It didn't save Judah, but it bought Judah time. And it created the remnant that would be brought back. So great revival resulted, even though the whole nation wasn't saved. This is what I believe God is doing for some of us. We, loved ones, I want you to know God knows you're doing your best. He knows you're trying. Oh, I know that there are times we may try to harbor secret sin, but that's not a smart thing to do. I know there are times that we grow cold and indifferent and maybe we backslide and we just don't put first things first. I know there are times like that. We've all had times like that. But I also know what it's like to do everything you know to do. I know what it's like to have a time where you look at your friend and say, I'm praying like I've never prayed. I'm reading the scripture like I've never read the scripture. I'm attending church like I've never attended church. I'm tithing. I'm doing everything I know to do. Pastor even shamed me into working with the children a couple of weeks ago. I'm doing everything I know. But the trouble just keeps coming. 
and keeps coming and keeps coming and keeps coming. And God is saying this, as surely as they set their heart to make the temple as pure as they knew to make it, God created an opportunity for breakthrough where they found the whole counsel of God. And I don't mean we need to look for a new Bible or anything like that. But I'm saying I believe that many in this generation, I mean of, of us that are alive now is what I mean by that, not like Gen Z or anything. But I think many of this present generation, living in this present time, we are living uh, for God with one hand tied behind our back. We're doing the best we can, but we're living from one good service to another good service. We're living from one concert to another concert. We're living from one aha moment in our devotion to another aha moment. And we have pieced together so much. And God says, I want you to see the whole picture. It, 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 and it's not that any of the Bible is hidden from us, but we have not yet learned how to access the scripture and live it out to its fullness. And God is saying, I want you to draw close to me and I'll draw close to you. Resist the enemy and he'll flee from you. And I'm going to let you find what your heart is looking for. I'm going to let this be a season of revelation for you. I'm going to let this be a time when the scripture takes on new life to you. I'm going to give you an anointing that you never thought you'd have before. There was somebody, I, I, I won't, I mean, I can't give details, but there was somebody that had a problem that I know they've had for years. And I, I, I prayed for them for years. And I saw them and I said, how are, are things going? And they said, oh, just like it's gone for the last 20 years. And normally I said, well, I'll, I'll pray for you. And I do pray for them. And all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, go hug them and tell this thing to leave. Well, I thought, I'm just tired of praying because I've, you know, I've been doing this 20 years. And, and, and what made it worse is I was sick and you don't hug people when you're sick. Now, if you're here today, the one I hugged, I'm... I hope you're not mad with me for hugging you sick, but I was, I was sick as a dog. I didn't feel any kind of anointing. I, I didn't feel any kind of presence except hug them and tell this thing to leave. And I hugged them and I just whispered into their ear, Lord bless them. And to this thing, I described it, you leave and they buckled and, and they began to tremble and they began to weep and they said, I, 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 I think I'm free. I think I'm free. Now you say, no, I, I mean, that's not me patting myself on the back. What I'm trying to tell you is that when I was at my worst, God said, I'm going to give a new anointing and demons are going to obey and sickness is going to flee and situations are going to change. And he wasn't just talking to me. In fact, I felt like he was saying that for the church. We have got to learn to not let what is weighing us down keep us from hugging, keep us from commanding things to go, keep us from... See, there's a wall where the whole scripture is hidden. And God says, I want you to have a Josiah moment where you have a, a and that's just, 
metaphorically I'm speaking, but God, God is saying, don't give in. Don't forget. Don't be weary in well-doing. Don't be weary in doing what you know to do. Because if you don't give up, you will reap a harvest. The problem with reaping harvest is that it's never ready when I want it to be ready. I saw some beautiful summer fruit in a grocery store the other day. And I thought, oh, this is what I need. And I bought some summer fruit, figured it came from South America or somewhere. And um, I, I took it home and I started eating it. And it was the right color. Might have been spray paint, I don't know. But uh, it was the right color. It was the right, it, everything was right. But everything I bit into, it wasn't ready. It wasn't ready. Somebody's trying to get some early sales. It wasn't ready. And I blessed my compost heap, uh, heap with, with it. But loved ones, this, this, this thing called the Christian life is, is, uh, is not a science. It's an art form. It's listening. It's a divine dance where one leads and the other follows. One step goes this way, one step goes that way. And we, especially we Pentecostals and Charismatics, have tried to reduce it to formulas and confessions and, um, and one, two, threes. And there are plenty of one, two, threes. But loved ones, he's trying to lift us up. It's like from the Song of Solomon, he's saying, come away, my beloved. Come away from what you're accustomed to and come and know my love, know my passion, know the exhilaration of being everything to me and letting me be everything to you. That's what he's doing now. He's saying, I know what you're doing. I see you travailing in the middle of the night. He said, I see you doing what you've always done when it seems that you're getting less results from it than you've ever gotten before. But he says, just keep pressing, keep cleaning, keep renovating, keep drawing close because you are on the brink of a discovery that will be absolutely unthinkable to you. Now you say, Pastor, is it something God does or something I do? Well, I think that this is, there's his part and there's our part. Our part is to respond. Our part is to respond to the lead dancer. Our, our part is to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you with all that is within me. I'm going to believe you even when my senses say it's not real. You see, there's a difference between denial and faith. There's a difference between word games and committing your heart to the Lord fully. And it's often a matter of commitment. <laughs> I read a story one time uh, about some farm cows that had heard that there was a needy family down the road and they wanted to help. So a cow, a chicken, and a pig decided to chip in for this poor family and provide a big breakfast feast of milk, eggs, and bacon. The cow and chicken agreed, yes, I'll provide the eggs. Yes, I'll provide the milk. And the pig said, hey, for you guys, this is limited involvement. For me, it's total commitment. <laughs> Loved ones, it's not by works. 
but God does respond to a hungry heart. He responds to a thirsty heart. He responds to our needs. I I think what he's wanting to do, if I can just close it with this, and we want to pray. I think what God is wanting to do, I'm reminded of a little town in Israel called Nain, N-A-I-N. And it's a Bible story that only covers just a few verses. But a widow, uh, so she had lost her husband, had one son, and her son died. And so she's devastated, obviously. And they're carrying this son out to be buried. They're carrying him out of town. Um, it, It was said by archaeologists that there was basically one road in and out of Nain. It was just a very small town. And it's pretty much still like that today um, from the archaeological viewpoint. And she and her her dead son and her family and friends were walking out of town weeping and wailing, weeping and wailing, weeping and wailing. Understandably, what she didn't know is that from the other end of the road is coming a rabbi named Jesus with his disciples. And you've got life and death, life and death, life and death, getting closer and closer and closer and closer. And when they saw the funeral uh, procession, Jesus stopped and light overcame darkness. Life overcame death. And now the weeping and wailing stops. The young boy is raised and restored to his mother. And now instead of going the path of weeping and wailing, everybody's going the path of life. You are destined. You're ready to lay your, your hopes and dreams to rest. Some of you are ready to lay your family to rest. You're ready to lay your children to rest or your parents to rest. You just say, I've prayed so long, I've prayed so hard, and it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. Loved ones, I want to tell you, there's somebody coming around the bend. There's somebody coming around the bend, and life will overtake darkness. In our best efforts to reform and polish the temple, we're going to find something that's bigger than the temple itself. God's about to give you breakthroughs. He's about to give you breakthroughs.